It's Tuesday, the 27th of April 2017. I'm still Robin Yellow, and this is Tectasm episode 50, The Half Century. And with me once more, because he's getting better, is James Woodall. I cannot believe we're on 50 episodes. I know. Well, we did the one year recently, didn't we? And now we're at 50. Uh, who knows what's next? 51, 50, I suspect. 50, 51 is probably next. Well, James, this week. We're going to be taking a look at the Galaxy S8 versus the iPhone 7. Some religious wars there coming up. Microsoft recommend that you do not install their latest update. And you can now make Donald Trump say anything you like in a post-truth world. Well, we'll be judging these stories and a couple of others to see if they are a techtasm, a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm, something existing only in a person's mind. So without further synthesized waffle... Let's get on with the show. Boy Genius Report, like a lot of other publications are talking this week about the Samsung Galaxy S8, which has just hit the stores, hit the streets. Um, but I pulled out an article from Zach Epstein on April the 27th who gives a good reason, or a number of reasons actually, why he could never ditch his iPhone 7 Plus for a Galaxy S8 Plus. Uh, now, he he goes into some detail in an article that he actually wrote last week, and he talks about these five reasons. Um, he, he believes that while you know the Galaxy S8 is vastly superior to Apple's iPhone 7 in terms of hardware design, with its curved edges, front and back combined with narrow bezels, and you know the future of smartphones... Uh, and as he said in the article, when he goes, when he went back after two weeks to his iPhone 7 Plus after using the Galaxy S8, it felt like going back to an old YouTube TV after having used a flat screen. But all that said, he still gave five reasons why the iPhone is better than the S8. Do you want to hear them, James? I yeah, know please do. do. Let's do this. Um, one, iOS is better and smoother than Android. Two, and we'll go back over this list in a minute, actually, because I'm going to refute all of them. Uh, two, iOS apps are still better and smoother than Android apps. Three, the iPhone 7 Plus still outperforms the Galaxy S8 Plus. Four, there's nothing else that can outperform the iPhone 7 Plus for battery life. And crucially, five, there isn't a consumer electronics company in the world that can approach Apple in the area of customer care now let the battle begin james because full disclosure you're an iphone zealot and i'm an android boy yeah um well i mean the first one no contest of course it's better yeah but on what basis are you saying that it is actually better uh well i think we've spoken about fragmentation so many times on this show what Apple have done really well is by locking down, you can argue separately as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, by locking down the ecosystem, iOS performs very well on its own hardware. Samsung have taken somebody else's operating system and, dare I say it, slightly bastardized it for the Samsung Galaxy um, S8. Okay, but you could not level that criticism, could you, at the new... Or it's not so new anymore, the Google Pixel phone. Um, no. 
No, because of course Google will have built the OS for the Pixel phone. Hmm. Okay. All right. So you believe because of the tight integration on hardware and software that iOS is better and smoother than Android. Well, um, I have used both uh, at the same time, and I know you have too, James. Um, and I think you may be right. There certainly is a silkiness to the uh, iOS experience, which isn't quite there, even on the most powerful of Android phones. So I might actually have to defer to you on that one. Um, the second point about iOS apps being better and smoother than Android apps, well, that's a bit bit more nuanced, I think. Uh, yeah, I I don't I don't know exactly. Um, this may actually be related slightly to the first point. In the sense that, well, okay, Apple have a lot of rules about what apps can and cannot do. So if I can give you an example. On an Android device, when the app is in the background, the app has full permission to do whatever it feels like. It can keep streaming video and nobody will know about it. Mm. Uh, or downloading lots of data or choking your CPU and whatever. And you might get told about it through the battery meter or whatever, but the OS doesn't really protect you. On an iPhone... I can tell you this with some certainty. When your app goes in the background, you have 15 seconds to finish off what you are doing. You can register inside the OS to do certain things. Like if you need to carry on downloading something, you can request permission. But you are at the mercy of the operating system as to whether or not you will or will not be allowed to do that. And what that means is for the user, you get a better performance. There are, there are no apps in the so, background. So the app... Uh, in the foreground will perform better because apps in the background are being very tightly controlled. Correct. Yes. Yes. So what? So for example, what the apps in the background can do is they can request to be woken up for a short amount of time. So let's say, for example, you've got a news app that wants to refresh the stories. You can request to the operating system that you can be woken up and at its convenience, it will do that for you, but you're not guaranteed for that to happen. And when the devices go into battery saving mode, all of that kind of stuff is killed. Yes. And I think actually Android in its later versions has copied a lot of this. So certainly, you know, when I was using Marshmallow, the previous version of Android on my Galaxy S7, um, it, they, the phone would randomly overheat. Obviously, some rogue process would go off and it would just kind of consume cycles and the phone would warm up and the battery life would be caned off. That seems to be a lot better in Nugget, Nougat, Nougat. Um, but uh, certainly, you know, you're absolutely right. It was, there was, there has always been since the beginning a lot tighter control in iOS about preserving the user experience. I don't know whether that necessarily makes apps better and smoother but it could do okay i'll defer to you on that one just is that just. two nil could be uh third one performance the iphone 7 still outperforms the galaxy s8 now this one let me just delve into a little bit about what he means here he says if you do a real world performance test you'll see that android still can't keep up with ios even when it's being uh, propelled by next generation processors like snap the snapdragon 835 i think he's listed point one and two and thought i can get away by adding another one and in, in here because i i think i can get away with those i am going to deny the third one and say that is just a summary of one and two and we have to exclude it okay well that's still not a win for android let's be very clear no no, no, no that's fair enough but i will say this 
Um, it is an undeniable that the Snapdragon 835 is the absolute king of CPUs right now. It is the fastest anything you can put into a phone, um, you know, short of a big <laughs> honking great Intel uh, Core i3 or something. I mean, it is got incredible power. Uh, power per watt and CPU cycles and ability to to do to do background processing. It's a fantastic chip. I would be amazed if the A9 chip in the iPhone can keep up with it well, pound for pound. But if I could say though, um, your phone in the background is doing things like step counts, for example, um, or the accelerometers are being used, the motion sensors are being used on an almost permanent basis. Would you agree with that? Uh, possibly, uh, I would not not almost not completely permanent. I think the in, uh, the operating system is a bit more intelligent than that. But I accept that uh, that it is using those things. Okay. In the background. Yeah. So, Apple have a coprocessor called the M9, which is designed to just focus on sensor-based events. Yeah, but it's still, it's still, a, it's still a processor that's taking power and doing things. Absolutely, but it but a clock cycle for that is much less power intensive than clock cycle on something like a snapdragon 835 because you know clock cycles are clock cycles right they take the same amount of power no matter what they're doing so what apple is able to do is offload some of the more mundane work like processing sensor input on a much more power efficient chip that's only job is to do that and thus freeing up the CPU for other things. Well, that's a good point. I must admit, I do not know whether the 835 has got any special area that's optimized for sensor input monitoring uh, built within it. I cannot judge the two against each but, other. But again, though, that, that does actually cover points one and two. Apple have designed the hardware and the software in tandem. So, for, for example, the processor has a special place for storing encrypted data just used by the Touch ID sensor. So, yeah, but, but again, you know, the question is whether you have a separate uh, ASIC or, or chip to specifically do something or whether it's part of the main chip and it's been specially uh, designed to do that function but on the main chip, uh, you know, all goes to how efficient each the, the thing is as a whole. And I would say that, uh, and dare I suggest, James, that you're falling into the marketing trap of believing what... Johnny Ive says when he talks about the M9 is beautifully crafted in aluminium to just take care uh, of the input from the sensor uh, devices. I, I mean, I'm not buying it quite frankly. No, I understand, I, but I, you uh, I like you working in the tech industry. I have dealt with these generic chips like the Snapdragon, and we've discussed on a previous show whereby a generic chip off the shelf will support 30 things. For example... An Ethernet port is built in normally to these SOCs, and let's be honest, that's not needed. So what Apple do is they only put things on the chip that they're actually going to use. Qualcomm don't have that luxury. Well, Qualcomm don't make phones. So no, but they certainly make the Snapdragon eight three five for for phones, don't they? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, they absolutely do, but. They will, there will be said that they are going to put the 835 into a laptop, aren't they? Somebody is going to put it into a no, laptop. No, but, but what I'm saying is there are features of the chip that not everybody's going to use. Well, I don't know. I don't know the chip that well. So, so I accept that some of the previous generation ARM chips may have had some of that baggage. Uh, I do not 
accept without more facts that that's what's happening here. Okay, but right. I'll let you have it since you obviously care about it. Well, no, okay, no, no. let's just keep it at two 0 I'm fine. I'm still up. It's Point okay. Four. All right, we're bidding that. Battery is important. There's nothing else that can touch the iPhone Seven Plus. So what he said is the Seven Plus outlasts the S8 Plus by a healthy margin, is how he described it after two weeks. Now, that's just a question of battery size and weight, and I don't know whether the iPhone 7 Plus is a heavy... No, no, not necessarily. Again, going back to point two, the OS manages the apps differently. Oh, no, I understand that. It may well be. But, but you could get the same battery life by putting a slightly larger battery in. Well, let me have a look. So the, the iPhone 7 Plus is a 2,900 milliamp hour battery... The S8 Plus will be much bigger than that. So If it isn't 35 or 100, I'll be surprised. S8 Plus battery. Thank you. Google, let's have a look. Specifications, uh, 3,000. Oh, it's not, not that much bigger then. So... Yeah, but is that the S8 Plus or the S8? Uh, sorry, the S8 Plus 3,500. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The S8 3000. Yeah. So um, so that's a question. So okay, so you're saying what he's saying is with 3500 milliamp hours, the S8 Plus still does not perform as well as the 2900 milliamp hour iPhone 7 Plus. But what it but but you see it's a bit of a redundant point. He's saying battery life is important. These most smartphones are designed to get you through a working day, right? Or get you through a full day from let's say 7 in the morning till midnight. Yeah. So all you need is 17 hours, 18 hours. Any more than that, you're just putting too large a battery in. Yeah, this is true. I mean, look, it's a very difficult point to actually determine because battery life is based only on what you do mainly, right? If you're having phone calls all day, you're going to suck out the battery. If you're streaming video, you're going to suck the battery. If you turn off Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, 4G, etc., you're going to get great battery. I mean... Yeah, yeah. Also, you never, you don't know what he did with these review units, whether he put Candy Crush or some background game that was sucking all the power out of the S8 Plus and kept his iPhone 7 pristine. But let's move on to the final point, James. He says, customer care is important. There is an electronics company that can even approach Apple in this key area. You know, he may be right, but you pay for it. What is it, Apple Care? There's some kind of insurance policy. Yeah, it's, I think it's, I want to say £80. I mean, what, 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 but what is a Galaxy S8, though? Galaxy S8 Plus retail price. It's not cheap. I'm going to say £750, 1000 bucks. Um... I'm getting less all the time. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I'm, I'm my, my Googling... I think they probably cool. cost about the same. I think the Pixel, the Samsung, and the iPhone all cost roughly the same. Yeah, okay. It's not on expenses, so I don't know. I'm not too sure what the SIM free price well, is. Well, in that case, it doesn't exist. Well, I'll tell you. Maybe on next week's show, um, I'll tell you about it because I'm getting a review unit in. Oh, okay. Excellent. Good stuff. So All right, look, let's uh, let's call this one here. Well, if we had a bit of a fight. Of... It feels like you've won. Yeah, but the thing is, four of them were all the same thing. Yes, but that's how they get you, don't they, journalists? They get you with the list. <laughs> yes, this is, this is very true. So good job, Zach Epstein. Uh, tail between your legs, Robin. James wins. There was no tech tasm here. The S8 is going to be a fantastic phone, just just in the same way that. The okay, well, let's move on to a story okay. where the tables can turn. Um, Ian Thompson in the register is talking about 
don't install our buggy Windows 10 creators update begs Microsoft. So just for those of you out there who are Windows 10 fans, uh, I guess that's probably just me, Microsoft have released a big update, the creators update, but they're telling people not to manually update it and just wait for it to happen by itself. Now why, I hear you ask, it's because it's not quite ready yet. So, yeah. Interesting. There's too many bugs in it then. Well, effectively, because Windows... Look, one of the things Microsoft have done really well, uh, you can argue the merits of this another time, but Windows does run on a almost infinite array of hardware. So different chips running with other different chips. You know, it's a very difficult task for Microsoft. In a previous life, I was a driver developer. It's a hard thing to do. Apple, on the other hand, have it easy because their software only runs with their hardware, so they're only supporting five models of computer, whereas Microsoft are supporting five million models of computer. Yes. So uh, the problems that they're saying is the core software itself is fine. The compatibility with different versions of things working together is causing a problem. And this actually, to be honest, has been a problem that's plagued Microsoft for some years now. I appreciate Windows Vista was not exactly a friend of the people, but one thing Vista did really well is it kicked the graphics driver makers into gear because they were the reasons of most of the blue screens. Right. So, yes, they were, weren't they? And and I I can't remember the last time I saw a blue screen. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason for that is because what Vista did is it moved the drivers into user mode so when they crashed, they could be rescued. If a driver is in kernel mode, it can't be rescued. There's nothing to hold on to it. No. So Vista made a massive change that basically said your kernel mode dra graphics drivers are not going to work anymore. Now, the creators update, it seems, is having a lot of compatibility issues. And no surprise, the Microsoft Surface array of hardware has got the updates first, and they are very slowly rolling it out. And I will say, Windows 10 creators update doesn't actually install on my own PC. So I guess I'm in that uh, camp, unfortunately. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I'm a Surface Pro 4 user. I don't, I don't have it. Or if I, if I do have it, I didn't notice it. So there was a big update recently, and I noticed no difference whatsoever. And mm. one of these days, when I care more, I'll go in and see if it, if it was actually delivered or not. But that's kind of the idea, though, isn't it? You shouldn't really notice your operating system. Well, no, and I think the creators update actually contained a lot of 3D authoring tools or capabilities, things which actually you wouldn't normally be exposed to unless you were involved in producing content for Microsoft Holographic. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I can be excused, I think, for not noticing. Uh, but it's interesting that, you know, they're taking it easy, aren't they? There's no big bang um, there's no there's no massive palaver. We've drawn this story out to kind of uh, harken back uh, to times past when uh, the new Microsoft version was a big event and potentially a big problem. Um, and now, of course, it's less of a thing because while it is a, a big uh, intermediate update, it's nowhere near as large as a as a major release. Is this Windows 11? Uh, well, I don't I don't know. I mean, is was Mac OS 10.10 really Mac 20? I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, though, Windows, Windows Vista was Windows 6. Windows 7 was actually Windows 6.1. Yeah. 
So the naming was just in the marketing. It was still the same Vista kernel. Windows 8 was Windows 6.2, you know. Yes. Um, well, well, look, Windows is a big, complicated piece of software. Uh, a lot of the world's enterprises depend on it. Um, I think that the the problem, you know, when the actual company that is owning the software says don't install it because we need more time, well, it does kind of raise the question, should they have released it in the first place? I don't know. Microsoft have got a long and checkered history of, of, uh, of doing this, um, putting stuff out and then withdrawing it and then perhaps. But, I mean, this is the first time I'm aware where they've actually said, we started rolling out, and then they've said, "No, no, actually, don't, don't install." If you get the choice, just say no. It's mm. a, it's potentially embarrassing, but I'm not seeing a massive amount of embarrassment in the press um, and people calling Microsoft nasty names. Well, the thing is, that's kind of old hat, really. It's probably not news anymore. People making fun of Microsoft. I'm just reading here in the article. Uh, one of the things that's causing the problem is uh, certain types of Broadcom modems. So, uh, I'm speculating here. But in days gone by, uh, the kernel sometimes is a little bit uh, lenient on how you write your drivers and will let you do things that maybe you're not supposed to do. And this was a big problem with Windows XP. So Windows 98 let you get away with loads of things. XP didn't. Mm. And Vista definitely didn't. Um, lazy software developers, if you will, um, ignored the guidelines and then was stung when the updates came yes but of course they weren't stung so much as we were stung. yeah because we would see these sorts of problems or microsoft reputation was stung uh either case i just think it's the you know the last in a long line of this sort of uh, uh you, you know alignment to get the driver manufacturers to to write decent code and uh, one day they'll finally get it of course um, Apple never suffered from this, of course, because they control their own software, and when they change the rules, everyone has to follow the rules. So uh... yeah, but they also though get bitten because one of the complaints about uh, from Apple Mac users is the graphics drivers are usually behind the Windows drivers, so games perform worse yes. on Macs than they do on PCs because Nvidia and and uh, AMD are not. Um, incentivized to update the drivers it's a double-edged sword you can't win you can't lose you can't win you cannot lose but one thing that you can do moving on james in the verge this week james vincent tells us about a company called Liarbird. l-y-r-e bird Liarbird claims that it can recreate any voice using just one minute of sample audio Okay, now, sounds too good to be true. Well, a Canadian AI startup called Liabird unveil, has unveiled it this week its first product. It's a set of algorithms which can clone anybody's voice. Now, using artificial intelligence, companies like Google have been able to create incredibly lifelike synthesized voices. And not, not so long ago, actually, Adobe unveiled some software called Project Voco that can edit human speech like Photoshop tweaks digital images but project voco needs about 20 minutes of audio before it can uh, before it can mimic a voice and Liarbird cuts this requirement down to 60 seconds now i've got a sample here james do you want to hear it yeah please let's okay. do it okay it's this is barack obama donald trump and hillary clinton all speaking to each other you ready Hey, Donna, have you heard about this new technology? That's Are you Obama. speaking about this new algorithm to copy voices? Yes, it is developed by a startup called Liarbird. This is huge. It can make us say anything, now really anything. 
the good news is that they will. Can you hear it? It's obviously taken from some of their speeches. Hillary Clinton yeah. comes hey in. Hey guys, I think that they use deep learning and artificial neural networks. Hillary is right, and I can tell you that their team is great. That's enough of that. Um, so, what do you think? Um, it, well, it's it's clearly not them, <laughs> but it's it's kind of it. It's discernible, can, discernibly them, though, isn't it? It's got the characteristics of their voice. I think just the tone isn't right yet. But, hey, if that's step one, that's pretty impressive. Well, imagine if I wanted to make a phone call from President Trump to Kim Jong-un. Uh, and I used that software to do it. Can you imagine if you could get the call put through? I mean, it does sort of raise... The worry and concern that, you know, if you remember, you know, when Photoshop became a thing, everyone said, well, actually, you cannot trust images anymore. There's airbrushing, alteration, changing, snipping. The tools for image manipulation became so good that you couldn't trust what, what you were seeing. I just wonder whether this sort of audio mimicry will make you doubt who you're talking to down the phone and then ultimately doubt what you're hearing on the radio and then perhaps even replace, I don't know, dead newscasters. I don't know where it's going. What do you think, James? I think it has a long way to go first. Um, I think the Photoshop fear was unfounded. Um, it didn't really pan out that way. I mean, there's definitely some very convincing Photoshops, but... I don't think the world is... Um, no, is we're completely of... relaxed about Photoshop now, aren't we? We kind of know that it is one of the tools that is used in the creation of image content uh, in the media, and we just kind of accept it. In well, interestingly enough, though, uh, my wife was telling me that her voice is now her passcode when she phones up her bank. Yes, that's right. So, First Direct. Uh I think so, or HSBC, one of the two. Yeah, I think they're the same parent company, actually. Yes, that's right. There's a bio... Sorry, not a bio. There's a, there's a, there is an audio analysis software that goes on but listens to not only the sound and shape of the voice but the cadence and various other things and can very quickly, uniquely identify you by this sort of voice print. I wonder whether what they've done here is to be able to attract is to be able to extract the essence of your voice and over a crackly phone line imitate you that's that could that be used in bank fraud goodness me hmm interesting well it's clearly a thing but as you said it's quite roboty and one of the things that the company has said is that while uh, they concede that of course, for very famous voices, people, you know, your brain will kind of bridge the gap between what the, the synthesis software has produced and the actual voice itself. Um, they do say that perhaps people, less famous people are, are a bit more robotic and less convincing. Um, but, you know, fantastic to do that with just one minute of speech. It is, but you can tell actually while listening to it what words are natural and what words are constructed. So, for example, like the word Hillary from Obama was um, was clearly a recording of the word Hillary. Yes. So I think the 60 second might just be like a headline. But in order to do this properly, maybe Project Voco is a bit more accurate. You know, 20 minutes of audio. Yes. Yes. But I'd like to hear comparisons, though, between the two. I mean, hey, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Well... 
Um, I, I, what do you reckon? I mean, clearly they've done this. Whether whether this is a true thing or not, it's just been presented as a fait accompli. We can do it with a minute of speech. I'd like to test you out in it, James, before I believe it. Um, but I do actually believe it. I think this is a real thing. I think we're going to see more of this. I think we're going to have to stop trusting evil podcasters who will try to influence the general election. Okay, well, let's let's carry on influencing our own story, uh, our, our own listeners with the next uh, next story. Uh, the register, uh, Andrew Orlowski, is talking about a new HTC phone. So we spent a bit of time earlier talking about the Samsung S8, but this is the HTC M8. Okay. Um, sorry, no, I'm lying. It's the U. It's the U. It's the U. I'm re- I've marked the wrong pieces. The, But it's got an interesting feature. And I want to talk about it. You can squeeze it. And by squeezing it, you activate sensors that can perform actions or open applications on the device. Gimmick or not? Definitely gimmick. I mean, what they're doing is they're using the same sort of technology, I suppose, that was in... What's it called when you do on the the iPhone? Is it Force Touch or is that wrong? Yes, Force Touch on the screen, yes. Force Touch. I think it's the same thing. Stresses in the material that covers the sensor will can be detected both as a sort of analog. You know, you can determine how far hard you're pressing based on stresses that can be determined by sensors underneath the, the glass, can't they, for Force Touch? Well, this is the same thing, presumably, on the metal frame around the side of the phone. Um, I just think that, you know, you grab your phone out of your pocket, pinch it slightly too hard in the wrong way, and boom, you it's doing something when it shouldn't. I mean, often I take my phone out of my pocket and I accidentally touch the power button, which brings the screen on. And that in itself is OK because there's a there's a screen lock, obviously, but it's just sucking a load of battery. I don't want to look at the screen. I don't want the screen to be powered up. And it, yet when I fumble the phone out of my pocket, no, I think this looks like an, a stupid gimmick to me. Have we decided this is tectasm already? I mean, what all the way. Say, <laughs> if you're comparing it to false touch, though, what's what makes force touch work quite nicely when it's implemented? Because not all apps implement it is your fingers already on the screen. You've just got an extra dimension. It's effectively a right click. Yes, uh, that's right. So, it's, so it's a sort of perhaps more natural than a tap and hold, which is the equivalent of right click before force touch. Uh, yeah. So on iPhones, that actually does something a little bit different as well. So, for example, on the home screen, a, a quick click on an app opens it. Obviously, a long click on an app turns it into shaking mode so you can move things around. Mm-hmm. A force touch opens the context menu of the app. Oh. So it's very interesting. Going back to the HTC, they're not to talk too much about my wonderful iPhone. Uh, this is tectasm smacked all over the place. It I mean, is. It's going to fail. I, uh, I, I hope HTC stay in the business, but uh, I think they're looking like a lot of these... Um, smartphone companies to differentiate themselves from other people and they're going to have to try loads of stuff look samsung bet their money on a edge-to-edge screen from all the reviews that i've read that looks like a winner it's the future of phones it feels more modern what hdc have bet their money on is some gimmicky side pressure sensor tectasm all over it james okay well that was a very efficient story thank you very much let's move on as quickly as we possibly can forbes are talking Lee Matthews has written about Google Chrome, a browser I know that you and I both love dearly and use on a I wouldn't say daily basis, more of a minutely basis, yep. probably. I'm on it now. Um 
And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And Google, of all people, are supposedly going to be adding an ad blocker into Chrome, which is really strange as for a company that makes pretty much all of its money from advertising. Yeah, but I bet they don't block their own ads. Well, yeah, so Google pays to be in Adblock's preferred acceptable ads program, which basically if you use Adblock Plus, which uh, 40 million people do, Adblock Plus will let through some adverts that are deemed acceptable because we all accept that the internet economy needs advertising. People don't want to pay for things, therefore it has to get paid for some way. So that's that, I think that's understood. If Google are in control of the ad blocker and by building it directly into Chrome, Google can start to customize the web experiences. And funnily enough, Google adverts will be allowed, but this story kind of um, asks the question, would this make the web a better place if people are finally going to start making acceptable nice adverts because we've all been to those web pages where videos play automatically in fact the forbes page that i'm looking at i've muted the tab because there's an auto-playing video yes and i think what i've heard this is rumor this is not a fact is it they haven't done this yet this is just people speculating i think isn't it yes so I think what they've said is that pre-roll videos or autoplay videos would be blocked as well. So what they've said is there are certain parts of the web experience which, which present an existential threat to the web as a way of communicating, as an interface to humans, simply because they are abused by certain people. So what they're saying is, and, they, and they've got some form here because, of course, they created the standard AMP, AMP, Yes. Uh, which was about, I mean, it was a, a massively constrained JavaScript library. Adverts only of a certain quality could be used within it. There'd still be adverts there, but they would load fast. They wouldn't waste. It was for mobiles, I think, mostly. Um, but it, they wouldn't waste a lot of your, your bandwidth allocation. The page would load quickly. It wouldn't be, you know, bash the monkey or or whatever it is. You know, these big flashing, gaudy video adverts that nobody wants. Um, so it would, in in a way, allow the internet to operate on the principle of funded advertising. So I think what they're saying is here is, you know, they recognise that 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 there are a certain class of adverts which are potentially which are driving people towards ad blockers, which just block everything. They're a blunt tool, with the exception perhaps of AdBlock Plus, which allows through, um, let's say quotes good adverts. Um, but in the case of AdBlock Plus, of course, they're making money on that. You know, it's not like they're charging Google to allow their adverts through. Uh, so when you're running AdBlock Plus, you accept that that is part of it uh, and you're buying into it. What's going on here is they're saying the browser will have it built in. And what I love about that as an idea is that it should be done really well because all plugins and add-ons, of course, will slow down your browsing experience because they require compute cycles to run. Whereas if it's built into the OS, oh, sorry, built into the um, browser, then it's going to be a smooth, fast experience. And I want that. I don't mind there being some ads as long but as they're not question, in my face. Though. 1994, Microsoft antitrust monopoly are google at risk of falling into a similar trap where 
not only are they now controlling the browser market because Chrome is by is now the most popular browser out there in the world, um, and they've also got the search tied up, and they also got advertising tied up. And if they're if they are the arbiter of what adverts get through and what don't, yes, they, they, possible... they, if they see if the argument is all our adverts are designed not to be obnoxious because they genuinely aren't obnoxious. If all our adverts are designed not to be obnoxious, and we want to put an ad blocker in because people uh, because people are moving away from the web as an interface, so we want to preserve the experience, by logical implication, they will just be stopping other people's adverts, which makes their market bigger by definition. For every ad they stop from somebody, good or bad, it increases the market size for them. So I, I think this would be a... I suspect they've floated this idea, whispered it in a few people's ears, uh, but I think it could be suicide for them. Yeah. Well, it just sounds... I just I just don't see how they can get around the antitrust monopoly thing because somebody like a Microsoft or who's another big player in the ad world, you know, Yahoo or AOL or whatever, who makes money from adverts is going to get really upset that people now browsing through Chrome en masse are now not paying them because they get no advertising. I think you know, if they do it in a sensitive way, they might get away with it, but it's a big risk. It's a very big risk. And and I think it's a, a tectasm. I really it do. It turns the internet, though, into like an app store, doesn't it? Google are now the arbiters of whether or not your advert can or cannot go on the internet. Well, of course, they would always argue that you can run edge or opera or you know whatever it is i mean you know they will say it's just a browser i mean with the exception of chrome os of which i am recording this show on um you know you have a choice as to which browser you use and actually there is competition in the in the market and those numbers will flex if they do something which is obnoxious people will just vote with their feet and move somewhere else so i get that uh, but i i do the sentiment is right improve the experience i think the execution could potentially be risky so i don't think they're going to do it i think it's a tech dasm. okay fine tech dasm. that's it And that is it for this week. Find us, as usual, at facebook.com slash techtasm. Subscribe in the usual places. If you're on Stitcher or iTunes, give us stars and reviews. And contact us at feedback at techtasm.com. We record sometimes, so please look out for the next episode from me, Sir Robin of Yellow. And me, Mr. James Woodall. Asking the question on your behalf. Is it real? Or is it just a tectasm? Tectasm.